Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, I want to start with a question for you. Who is the world's best boss? Who is the world's best boss? Anyone got a guess? The world's best boss, if you could go ahead and put on the screen. This is the world's best boss. Michael Scott is the world's best boss. Who is the world's worst boss? Michael Scott is the world's worst boss. He is the best boss because he bought a lot of coffee mugs telling everyone that he is the world's best boss. But he's also the worst boss because he does things that are completely inappropriate all of the time. He says things that are inappropriate. He does things that are inappropriate. If you don't know who this man is, you are a blessed individual. It means you've never seen The Office. But in The Office, it's the story of a paper company. And Michael Scott starts out as a salesman. He does very good. And so they promote him to be the manager of this office. And during the, if you've ever seen the show, it is just so painful to watch. I know the first time I watched this show, I had to turn it off because it was so extremely awkward and painful. Uh, He is an accomplished salesman, but he is not very good in management. He is constantly mixing in his personal life with corporate life in ways that are just completely not respectable. Uh, He is also always wanting to be the center of attention, not only in the office, but even at the weddings he goes to, he wants to be the center of attention. He is irresponsibly financially, has to take up a second job as a telemarketer. He frequently offends and insults people and yet is easily offended and insulted. He is simultaneously a narcissist and deeply insecure. One time, one of his employees, Jim, put together a graph of how Michael spends his time. And what he has discovered is that Michael spends 80% of his time distracting others, 19% of his time procrastinating, and 1% of his time in critical thinking. That's how he spends his time. Some of my favorite Michael Scott quotes are, I'm an early bird and a night owl, so I'm wise and I have worms. He said, would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. You know, it's amazing how popular this show has been. It ended in 2013, and seven years later in 2020, it was by far the most streamed show on TV. And the question is, why is it so popular? Well, one reason is because it's very funny, but also because it is ridiculously relatable in the corporate world. All of us have bosses or have had bosses that have certain attributes of Michael Scott. Bosses who, at least from our perception, 
simultaneously may seem overconfident, but are also underqualified. I've had a lot of different bosses in my life. I haven't always been a pastor, and I have had bosses who were highly qualified, who were underqualified. I've had some that were ethical, some that were unethical, some who were Christians, and many who were non-Christians. And the question that our passage addresses today is how should we engage with our bosses as Christians. Now that we are committed to Jesus, we are dedicated to Jesus, how shall we now then work and relate to our bosses? So if you would open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, we will be only looking at two verses today. It is page 992 in the Red Bible. If you're in the Red Bible, it's page 992. While you're turned there, can I just kind of give you a roadmap of where we're going over the next few weeks um, I was supposed to preach through verse 10 today, but there's so much good content in there, I, I did not want to do it all in one sermon. And so next week, Pastor Spencer is going to be preaching verses 11 through 16 because he already started on that work. Then we'll come back to verses 3 through 10, and then the Sunday before Memorial Day, we will finish with verses 17 through 21 of 1 Timothy. After that, uh, for the summer series, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Mark. If you remember, we ended at the end of chapter 11, and so we're going to jump in at chapter 12 and finish the rest of the gospel of Mark, which we're very excited about. So that's kind of the trajectory that we're going. But today, uh, we are wrapping up a three-week mini-series inside this pastoral epistle uh, of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is written uh, to give the blueprints for the local church. And over the, the last two weeks and this week, uh, Paul has been telling us how we are to honor others. Uh, first, he talks about how we should honor uh, older folks in the church, how we should honor younger folks in the church. He spent a lot of time talking about how we are to honor and care for widows in the church. Last week, as Ron preached, he talked to us about honoring elders in the church. And today, Paul focuses us on something that is extremely practical. We spend about a third of our life at work, but at times also very difficult, which is honoring our bosses. Even overconfident, unqualified, self-proclaimed, world best bosses. All right? So let's look together. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is God's word. Let all who are under a yoke... As bondservants, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. Let's pray. Lord God, we come this morning maybe already confessing how we have dishonored those that you put in authority over us in the workplace. Maybe how we have dishonored our teachers, our parents. Maybe we come with our defenses up trying to prove all the ways that we haven't done this or how our dishonoring is justified. And so, Spirit, we pray as you are so faithful to do, to work on our hearts, to show us the beauty of the gospel and how that impacts our Monday through Friday work life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dig into the passage, we have to do some 
cultural contextualization here. Uh, in this passage, in the original Greek, Paul is writing to the doulos. And the doulos uh, are translated as slaves or bond servants or servants. So your Bible might translate it in any of those ways. I have that there for you in the bulletin if you're interested. But I think it is very wise for the ESV to translate this as bondservant instead of slave, especially in America. Because when Americans hear the word slave, we immediately think of our own history. We think of the horrors of American slavery, which is called chattel slavery. And chattel slavery is an evil system which forced people against their will to be considered legal property, to be bought, sold, and owned. It was a system of oppression in which Africans were caged like animals, treated like animals, and put to work like animals simply because of the color of their skin. It was a wicked system. And sadly, Christians have used passages like what we have today to justify slavery. But in Paul's time, in the Roman Empire, slavery did not carry such negative connotations. It was the, the major system of employment throughout the empire. 50% of the population would have been slaves. It would be much like blue-collar workers today in some way. You see, people became servants or slaves and bond servants in a few different ways and for a few different reasons. One reason they would become a bond servant is if they were conquered by the Roman Empire. So this would be people of every nationality and skin color. For example, in the Old Testament, Daniel uh, becomes a slave of the empire that conquers them, and yet he raises up to be the second most powerful man in the entire world. Indeed, even in Paul's day, some of these servants or bond servants were doctors and lawyers and they were teachers. They hold, held high positions. The second reason why people become bond servants is if they had a debt that they needed to pay off. And so if I was borrowing money from you, let's say I was borrowing $100,000, and I would say to you, if I cannot repay off this debt, I will work off the debt for this many years. For a Jew, it was up to six years that you could work to pay off the debt. And so there was no bankruptcy at the time. Uh, this is actually isn't a horrible system in my mind, but it was a way of saying, okay, if I default on the loan, I will pay you back with my service. The third reason why people became bond servants, and the majority of people, is simply because they needed a place to work. They needed a place to live. They needed, they needed a steady uh, a, a place to get food, to have a roof over their head. And so they would sign up to be bond servants because it was a good way to live life. They didn't have to worry about their next meal for the most part. And so those are some of the different ways that people became bond servants in the kingdom. Um, and so we have to kind of put out of our mind our own understanding of slavery in the United States and, and realize this is a different system that Paul is talking about here, a major system in which there is employee and, and employer relationships. I've actually, I don't know why I'm using another show. I have not seen more than 10 minutes of this show, so forgive me, but I feel like it's a little bit like Downton Abbey, uh, how there are servants in the house and I don't, do they live at the house? Yes, they do. They get fed, right? They get paid. And so this is kind of more what a bond servant is. Uh, the big difference between employment today and employment then is at that time, at least for bond servants, at the beginning of your work, you would say, I will work for this amount of time for this amount of money. 
And so it's, it's a lot like, honestly, professional athletes today who will say, I will, I will be on your team for this amount of time, for this amount of money. Most of us don't operate in that way. Most of us were employed at a job, and as soon as we want to leave the job, we leave the job and go get another job. But for them, they would actually get paid at the front end for this many years of service. And so that is one of the big differences between what, uh, what is our work and what was work for them in that day. Um, and so it's, it's different in a lot of ways. But for us, it is, it is right and appropriate to apply this passage to our own workplace. Uh, we have uh, authority structures in our workplace, either supervisors or bosses or employers that are in authority over us. And, and so often in our culture, what we focus on is the boss, is, is he or she a good boss or he is she a bad boss? And in this passage today, Paul focuses on that elsewhere. We'll see that later. But in this passage today, Paul flips the script and he says, don't focus on if your boss is a good boss or bad boss. You be a good employee. You honor your boss, whether they are a Christian or not a Christian. And so that is the very simple outline of today's passage. It's pretty easy. Verse one is that we are called to honor our non-Christian bosses. And verse two is we are called to honor our Christian bosses, okay? So first, we are to honor our non-Christian bosses. Look at verse one with me, if you would. We'll start with just the first half. It says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Uh, the reason Paul has to give this exhortation to honor their masters or to honor their bosses or honor their employee is because this is hard to do. With that said, it is even more difficult in some ways for Christians. As you can imagine, when a bondservant becomes a Christian, they are filled with joy and dignity they understand that they are image bearers of God, that they are a child of the king, that they are precious to the Lord, and that they have been bought by his own blood. And so their new identity, as it sinks in, loosens their grip, as it should, loosens their grip on their identity and their employment. It loosens their grip on their identity as a bondservant or an employee, because now they primary identity is that of a child of God. And so all of a sudden, they may feel this air of superiority over their non-Christian boss, or like their work amongst this non-Christian boss does not matter to the kingdom of God. And so Paul reminds them that they are under a yoke as a bondservant or a slave, meaning they are under contract. They're under a covenant to serve this person for this many years to fulfill what their obligations. And he is calling them to be faithful to that. And Paul says that you should regard these masters or these employers as worthy of all honor. Notice he does not say they are worthy of all honor. He says you should regard them as worthy of all honor. The, the truth is some of these employers or bosses or masters were fantastic. They were great. Sometimes slaves would actually take the name of their owner. Sometimes they would actually get a, a, a hole drilled through their ear and an earring to say that they're devoted to this master for the rest of their life because they love this employer. They love this boss. But sometimes bosses are rotten, just like today. And so he says to regard them as worthy of all honor and to treat them as wit as if they are worthy of all honor. Now, 
Three weeks ago, we asked the question, what does it mean to honor someone? And it means to show reverence, to show esteem and dignity, to assign value to them, to show them respect. But practically, what does this look like in our life? Practically, tomorrow when you go to work, what does it look like to honor your boss? Well, of course, it means not talking bad about your boss to other employees behind their backs saying, oh, can you believe that they did this or that they did that? What a dumb decision this was. I think this is especially tempting in a corporate atmosphere where you don't know the people that are in charge. But we are called not to tarnish their reputation. When we have concerns, we are called to go to them directly one-on-one with a posture of humility and respect and honor and share our concerns with them, knowing that they will be accountable for the decisions that they make. We honor by what we say. We honor by what we don't say. But we also honor our bosses by how we do our jobs. If you look at the two verses prior to today's passage, at the end of chapter 5, go ahead and look there. Chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. It says this, it says, the sins of some people are conspicuous, which means obvious, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. In other words, you can't hide your sin, at least not forever. And then it says, so also good works are conspicuous. That means obvious. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The good works will be found out, even if they are done in secret. Last week, Ron applied this to elders, appropriately so, but it also applies to employees. If you do good work, if you work hard, if you work ethically, it will either become obvious right away or it will become obvious to your boss later. And if it doesn't come obvious to your boss later, it will be obvious to God himself. In the same way, if you slack off at work, if you cut corners, if you waste time searching the internet or on social media or planning your next vacation or just chatting with all the other employees, distracting them like Michael Scott does, then your employer will notice. It will be found out. And if not by him or her, then by God himself. Last month, there was an article uh, that was published, and the headline says this. It says, March Madness will cost employees 17 billion dollars this year. It's a lot of money as workers slack off. The report goes on to talk about just, you know, the filling out of brackets, doing research, watching games, and how this is going to cause companies 17 billion dollars. Now, your employee may allow you to do this with some flexibility, a little bit in moderation, but I don't think they're talking about those types of employees. They're talking about people who, who dive all in or who are not supposed to be doing this in work and are doing this at work. And I remember several years ago, I was, uh, I was doing March Madness. I can't remember if I was at work or not at work, to be honest with you. I can't remember. But I remember uh, I was watching a game on a computer, uh, one of the March Madness games. And on the top right corner, there was a button. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the button is called the boss button. Have you heard of it? The boss button. And the boss button... It's kind of brilliant, but it's, it's, deceptive, it's, it's, it's evil. So, so the way that the boss button works is if you notice your boss is coming, you can click on the boss button, and immediately the screen turns from an NCAA game into an elaborate spreadsheet of all of these numbers so that when your boss walks by, they will think you are hard at work. Christians, we are called to work as if our boss is always in the room. Because they will probably find out one day what kind of work you you are. And even if they don't, God knows. 
We're to honor our non-Christian bosses with our words and with our work ethic. Now, why is this so important? What is at stake? Well, what we will find out is more than your job is at stake. In fact, the kingdom of God is at stake. Look at verse one with me again. It says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that, and here's the reason, so that the name of God and the teaching, which is the gospel of Christ, may not be reviled. You know, throughout the history of of the New Testament, Christians have rightly understood their employment as more than a job, as more than a way of earning money so that they can pay the bills and go on vacation and have super fun weekends. Christians have always seen their employment as a calling, as a holy endeavor, and that the primary purpose of their job is to glorify God and to work for the good of mankind. And so if you flip burgers, this is your secondary calling. Your primary calling is to God, but your secondary calling is to flip burgers for the glory of God. And this is a holy endeavor according to God. One preacher puts it this way. I love how he illustrates it. He says, he says in our minds, we often draw this line, and above the line, we put sacred things like prayer, Bible study, going to church, serving in the church, things like that. We put sacred things up here, and below the line, we put secular things like work or play or chores or things like that. And what he encourages us to do is to erase the line and to draw a circle and to throw everything in the circle in your life because everything you do in your life is sacred. It is an opportunity to worship the Lord God, which means everything you do is important, even your work. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, just the most mundane things, or whatever you do, everything, do all to the glory of God. And so how we work matters because it is a sacred endeavor given to us by God. It was a part of creation, not a part of the fall. Adam and Eve were put in the garden to work the garden. Thorns and thistles were a result of the fall, but work was not. It is a holy endeavor that God calls us to, and it is our place of ministry. You know, I've heard people say, you know, I really want to be done with my job so I can go do ministry. But Paul says, no, no, your job is your ministry. Honor your employees with your words, with your work in such a way that it will bring good reputation to the Lord God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. By watching you, your employer should conclude that Christianity makes honorable employees. The way you work should be a testimony to the glory and the beauty of our God and the gospel of Christ. You see, while how you honor your boss does not share the good news of the gospel, it authenticates the good news of the gospel that you are called to share. If you honor your boss, it will show that the gospel is honorable and that we serve an honorable God. I've shared this story before, but when I was in seminary now, ooh, I don't know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, uh, we would have these pizza lunches. And basically, seminary students are poor, and so they would promise you free pizza if you come and listen to someone talk on and on about whatever it might be. And so I showed up at this pizza lunch for the pizza, because uh, I wanted some pizza, and there was a local youth 
uh, director or pastor who was there, and he was sharing. Uh, he had actually grown up in Iraq, and he was uh, brought into the military against his will under Saddam Hussein. Eventually, he escaped to Jordan, uh, where he heard some Christians singing in a church, got drawn in, and came to faith in Christ. It's an amazing story. Uh, but what is so interesting is that uh, what he told us is that Saddam Hussein... Uh, his life was constantly under threat of assassination by his own countrymen, men of his own religion. And, and one way that people would often try to assassinate uh, a dictator like that would be through food poisoning. And so do you know who Saddam Hussein entrusted to make his food and to serve his food? Christians. He employed Christians in the kitchen. He employed Christians to prep his food and to serve his food because Christians had a reputation of being honest workers, of being trustworthy, of being good citizens. And Saddam knew that he could trust them more than people even of his own faith. And while it seems unlikely that Saddam ever became a Christian, the Christian faith was seen as honorable by this man who was standing before me at this ministry lunch as he saw Christians honor non-Christian bosses. Christian, do you want to honor God? Do you want to honor the gospel of Jesus Christ? Honor your non-Christian bosses with your words and with your work as if they are always in the room, knowing that God is always in the room. Honor them so that they might honor the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the first, okay, is that we must honor our non-Christian bosses. Now you may be here and say, hey, I have a Christian boss, so I am off the hook not so fast. Verse 2 says this, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Uh, in Asia Minor, uh, where there is probably one church per town, if your boss was a Christian, there's a really good chance that you went to church with your boss. Some of you can probably even relate to that today. And in the church, we have this celebration of equality in Christ. And we see it in Galatians chapter 3. It will be on the screen up here. It says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring Heirs according to the promise. Keep this up there for a little bit. This is the beautiful thing about the church. That whether we are rich or poor, a guy or a gal, a boss or an employee, we are all clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are all by faith, offspring of Abraham. We are all therefore children of God, equal in standing in the kingdom of God. And so with this equality of redemption and dignity and identity, there may be an assumption that carries over into the workplace. But here's the thing, even if we become Christians, Ethnic Jews are still ethnic Jews. Gentiles are still Gentiles. Males are still males, right? Females are still females. And guess what? Bosses are still bosses, and employees are still employees. And so if your boss is a Christian, in the workplace, he or she still has authority over you. And you should not expect special treatment because of your unity in Christ. 
You should not expect to get a promotion just because you are a Christian, nor should you think that they would let you off the hook for coming late time after time just because you're a Christian and because they're a Christian. I was listening to a pastor this week, and he shared the story of a man who, who was bragging to him about how he didn't have to follow protocol at work because he was a Christian and because his boss was a Christian. And so while everyone else had to follow protocol, protocol he got special treatment. This is not the way it is supposed to be. This is a bad witness to those who are around us. And so Paul exhorts us not to presume on our Christian boss. As this verse says, just because they are our brother. Yes, they are our brother. They are equal in the kingdom of God, but they are still our boss. Now, why, why does this matter? Why do we need to honor our boss? Why do we need to respect our Christian boss? Well, verse 2 continues. And it says, rather they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. I love that description of Christians. Did you see it? They are believers and beloved. Doesn't this describe you? Doesn't this describe those who got baptized today? They are believers and beloved. This is true of you if you trust in Christ, but it is also true of your boss. If your boss is a Christian, they are the beloved of the Lord. And because they are the beloved of the Lord, you are called to love what God loves, and God loves them because they are his children. And so it should provide us all the more motivation to serve and work hard for them because it benefits one of the children of God. Several years ago, my uh, sister who lives in Texas, her friends were coming up to Door County. I don't know them that well. I've met them once. And they were coming up to Door County, and they weren't sure what they were going to do for, for, for sleeping. And so my sister asked me if they could borrow my pop-up camper. And I was like, sure, they can borrow my pop-up camper. If I didn't know them, I would not have given it to them. But I gave it to them because I love my sister and because my sister loves them. In the same way, we are called to serve and honor and respect our Christian bosses because they are the beloved of the Lord. And do you know how much God loves them? God loves them so much that he did the unthinkable, that, that God, that the Lord, who is the master of creation, who is the king of all powers, who is the boss of the universe, became a slave. He became a doulos. He became a servant. Speaking of Jesus, Philippians 2 says this. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that is, to be held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a doulos, a servant, a slave, a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yes, Christian, it is true. This describes the humility of Christ and his love for you, but also for your boss. That he came in humility, became a man, was stripped naked, was ridiculed, was flogged. He took our sins and the sins of our boss upon himself and died for those sins to pay for them in full and then to raise on the third day to give us newness of life because that is how much he loves you. But that is also how much he loves your boss. And so if, if you are a Christian, you should love what God loves. And God loves your Christian boss as if they are his own child because they are through adoption.
Finally, the end of verse 2. And it's a little bit of a tangent, but this seasoned apostle Paul writes to this young church planter, Timothy. And he ends by saying this, teach and urge or exhort these things. Friends, when we come to church on Sunday morning, when we hear the preaching of God's word, it is not supposed to simply be a transfer of information. Information is a good start. We need to know things. We need to understand things. We need to think about things. But it's not just supposed to be information. It is supposed to be transformation. If you hear this sermon and nothing changes about the way you go to work tomorrow morning, we have failed here. This is supposed to be transformation. We are to exhort you to think differently, to love differently, to honor differently, and yes, even to work differently in the workplace. God's word should change us and transform us to become the best employees throughout all of Green Bay. Let me end by actually flipping to another uh, Bible verse, Ephesians chapter 6. If you would flip to Ephesians chapter 6, If someone's in the red Bible, could you tell me what page number that is? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. Anyone in the red Bible? It's like sword drills, if you've ever done those as a kid. I never did. I grew up in church that didn't talk about the Bible. So what is it? 578? 978. Okay, page 978, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. You'll see some of the parallels here, but I think there's also something that's very helpful in this passage that's not quite as highlighted in in 1 Timothy. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 says this, through verse 8. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. In this passage, Paul reminds bondservants and us that no matter who our earthly boss is, good, bad, or indifferent, ultimately we have another boss. Ultimately, we work for a heavenly boss. We are called to be bondservants of Christ. And so let me ask you, as you drive into work tomorrow, are you thinking, I'm going as a bondservant of Christ, as a servant of Christ? Or if you work at home, as you flip open your computer, are you thinking, I go to work as a servant for Christ? You see, you are not simply a salesman or a grocer or an accountant. You are a salesman for Christ. You are a grocer for Christ. You are an accountant for Christ because you are the beloved and believer of Christ, a bondservant of Christ. I once saw this bumper sticker, and it is so cheesy. It is so super cheesy, but it makes the point. And this is what the bumper sticker said. It says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Super cheesy, I know, but I remembered it. See, tomorrow, when you're driving to work or getting up to work at home, you need to remember, who do you ultimately work for? Do you go to work primarily for yourself to earn money, to have a lavish lifestyle or to pay the bills? Do you go primarily to work to serve your boss so that they might see you and be pleased by you? 
Go to your sacred work for the sake of Christ. And do so by honoring your boss with what you say and with what you don't say, with what you do and with what you don't do, and do all of it with a heart fixed on a Jewish carpenter. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this passage. It is so extraordinarily practical to our day-to-day life, and yet we are so quick to forget these things, Lord. God, help us to swim upstream against the current of the workplace that can often be negative and toxic, Lord. Help us to be those who honor our bosses, even, even if it costs us our job. May we honor them by working ethically, by, by addressing issues in, in the workplace, God. But Lord, may we do all of it knowing that it is our secondary calling. And our primary calling will never change. And our primary calling is to you, to honor you and to glorify you and to enjoy you. And may we do that at home, in the church, in rest, but also in our place of work, our holy vocational calling. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.